Well, good morning. It's uh, great to have an opportunity again to share God's word with you uh, today from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Joshi has uh, made noises through every song and uh, everyone's speaking, so I'm reliably informed if I cark it, just uh, grab Joshi and he'll be able to finish the sermon for us this morning. It's very noisy. I'm watching you. Uh, so to, technically today uh, is to cover both Corinthians 12 and 13. Uh, because of the, uh, the time we've got available and the topics in 13, we'll just be looking at that chapter in detail. Spanning between uh, chapters 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul spent three chapters speaking on the subject of spirituality. Uh, it's not just, a, I think you'll agree with me, not just a topic that was relevant for Corinthian Christians or even Corinthians today. Uh, but spirituality is in fact a booming business worldwide. It's something that appeals to all people from all backgrounds. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but the Mind, Body, Spirit Festival is due to run here in Melbourne again on the 14th to 16th of November this year. The promotional message on their website tells the inquirer, the Mind, Body, Spirit Festival is Australia's largest, most popular health, wellbeing and natural therapies event. See more than 200 exhibitors attend one of the many free inspirational seminars, book yourself in for a psychic reading, try some body pampering and take a break at the free performance stage. There's something for everyone from meditation, yoga, herbal supplements, organic health, women's health, body therapies, psychic readings, crystals, life coaching and spiritual healing. It's all at the Mind Body Spirit Festival. Exploring a little more of their website, we find over 70,000 visitors each year across the five festivals in major cities across Australia, with 95% of visitors going there for personal development. Uh, now, of course, you can get a little cynical when you read on to find that uh, uh, exhibitor research identified $25 million worth of business generated by the festivals annually, uh, with 92% of all visitors making a purchase the festivals continue to deliver a strong financial return for all key stakeholders. But whether spirituality is good business or not, uh, it's obviously something that really appeals to a vast uh, number of people uh, to get those kind of numbers year in, year out, attending and seeking their spirituality. Even as Christians, we can sometimes be sucked into thinking, well, maybe we're missing out on the full spiritual experience that is out there. I mean, who wants to exercise the spiritual gift of administration when you can go to the Mind Body Spirit Festival and get body therapies, psychic readings, crystals, life coaching and spiritual coaching all on the one day and all at the one convenient place? As we come to the start of 1 Corinthians 13, we find that as Melbournians we share quite a common experience with the Corinthian Christians, asking the same types of questions when it comes to spirituality and spiritual gifts. How can we experience the fullness of spiritual experience? How can we be sure that we're not missing out on what someone else has got? How can we get the best spiritual gifts for ourselves? We know, you know others might have the gift of teaching or the gift of helping others, but well, maybe there's something better out there and, and I'd like one of those gifts, please. I'd like one of the more exciting ones. It reminds me a bit like uh, one of the games Rach used to work, uh, play at work at uh, Christmas parties. Uh, it'd be a Kris Kringle game. So everyone would bring a Kris Kringle peasant uh, to work, put it under the Christmas tree and then at lunchtime they'd all sit around the table and grab a present. Uh, and of course once you had the present in front of you that's when the game got interesting because at that point you could start stealing other people's presents. So 
each time one of your cards comes up on the table, you uh, have the opportunity to either play it safe and just keep the gift in front of you or lash out, play it dangerous and try and steal someone else's present and swap them for the one that you've got in your hand. So, of course, the aim of the game, naturally, is to, uh, is to get rid of the, the tacky keychain or the mug that's sitting in front of you, dump that on the poor, unsuspecting victim beside you and, uh, and steal the you know, massive black of Toblerone chocolate or whatever, whatever took your fancy. Uh, one year, I think Rach ended up with a bookmark, so obviously uh, <laughs> not one of her better years for the game. The danger for us as a church as we think about spiritual gifts and how we use them and how we interact together uh, is that we can end up thinking, well, maybe it's a bit like the Chris Pringle game. You know, it's, There's some really cool gifts out there and, and I'd really like to grab one of those. Uh, and then those other gifts that we didn't really want anyway, well, surely they can be for someone else. Uh, we look through this, this passage today, we'll see Paul answers these questions that people have. You, know, you go through chapter 12, all these different gifts, which one's the best? Uh, Paul answers those questions by a, a, a kind of surprising perspective that he brings. Uh, we seek the highest and most powerful spiritual gifts, but Paul will show us today that the power of our gifts is not in the gifts themselves, in the type or the weight or the extent of each gift we have, but rather the power is in the immeasurable good that we can do with our gifts if only we can find a way to use them together in love. Before we, before we read the passage and, uh, and get into it in detail, a few uh, broader contextual points to remember this morning. Uh, as I said before, chapter 13 is squeezed in between chapters 12 and 14 uh, and it's part of a bigger picture looking at spiritual gifts in general. And in chapter 12, most of us will be reasonably familiar with chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul spent a good deal of time talking about the way spiritual gifts are to be used together to build up the body of Christ and the fact that, like a human body without a hand or a foot or an ear or an eye, the body of Christ will not function well if certain parts are missing. Every spiritual gift is important and necessary for the running of the church and therefore every spiritual gift in its own accord is an important and significant gift for us to have. The primary application of this this passage is, is really a loving use of spiritual gifts within the church. So while, while 1 Corinthians uh, 13 is used in a broader context, in living in a secular world, in, in loving people in a secular world, it's important as we think about it this morning that we remember the first application of it is the loving use within the church. Uh, so when we see the word love, for instance, love is not, you know, to, to 1 Corinthians verses 4 to 7, love is patient, love is kind, it, doesn't even, it does not boast. Those verses are read out at, at pretty much every wedding uh, that you'll go to. Uh, very, very popular. But love here is not talking about a Romeo and Juliet kind of romantic love uh, or even a broader kind of platonic love. But love here is specifically a Christ-like love for Christ and the church as we, as we understand what love means. My hope for this morning is that as we unpack God's truth out of this, this word that uh, I think firstly uh, uh, we will be challenged uh, by Paul and, and his his teaching to us but I hope that also out of that we will be encouraged as we seek through the rest of the passage that some of the things that we do in our lives every day, day on day that may seem hard, that may seem quite mundane to us but some of those things are the very acts, the, the very ways we can use our gifts in love that will impact forever. They are the significant parts of our lives even though we may not quite understand that as we go through day to day. So let's, uh, let's read the passage 
1 Corinthians 13. We had a great uh, video clip earlier looking at uh, particularly verses 4 to 7. And just to give us a bit more context, uh, let's read, uh, read the full chapter. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And let me, let me start in the, the second half of verse 31 of chapter 12. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. So as we focus our eyes now on verses 1 to 3 of this chapter, uh, we'll see that the first reason that true spirituality is not about the type or the weight of spiritual gifts we have, but it's ultimately about how much love is present as we use those gifts. As you will have noticed from the reading, Paul gets straight to the point here. He doesn't kind of give us any time to warm up, so a heads up, Paul's gone straight to the tool shed, bypassed all the finer tools and just grabbed a sledgehammer off the shelf. Uh, So starting at, uh, at verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I am only like a cymbal, empty, of no substance or weight. The symbol was struck 200 times in the last music session and yet there's nothing remaining from that. It's all gone. In case we're tempted to think, well, at least the clanging symbol is making some noise, it's got to be of some value, uh, Paul restates his point a second time and this time a little more bluntly in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains, in other words, even if we're the embodiment of Isaiah, Solomon and Moses all put together in one incredibly impressive package even if we're the most impressive Christian to have ever lived uh, but we have not love, I am nothing. Unfortunately, the Christian life isn't like Tiger Woods on the golf team. It doesn't matter how good or talented we are. If we don't have love, then we're off the team. There isn't a place for us. As soon as love exits the equation then everything we're doing becomes of no significance. I think these, these verses are quite hard to hear and my, my first response and thought when I heard this was, well, hang on a minute, that's a bit harsh, Paul. Surely, surely there's something of value 
that we gain when we do things, even if we're not really loving people in what we're doing, surely there's some value, there's something that I'm going to get at the end of this, of all this effort and time. A third time, Paul restates his point just to make sure that we don't miss it. Verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Even the ultimate sacrifice done for the wrong reasons will gain us nothing. What a powerful verdict on a person's actions and potentially much of a person's life if they've spent their life doing things without love. It's for this reason surely that we read in Philippians 2, 3-4 Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. A really strong warning here that all of our works, if we do them out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, they will empty us of any significance and substance. They'll make us of no significance and they'll gain us nothing in the long run. As we reflect on, on Paul's opening challenge here, uh, it's clear that, uh, isn't it, that we ourselves need to carefully reflect on why we're doing the things that we're doing. Why are we using certain gifts? Uh, and perhaps for us also, why are we not using certain gifts in our lives? For example, what are our motivations uh, when we attempt to teach someone from the Word or we attempt to speak into someone's life about a life situation? Uh, as we reflect on the way we do that, are we doing that just because we love them and want the best for them or do we sometimes inadvertently bring in some of our own prejudices or pride or, or, or arrogance uh, into that conversation as we, we try and give advice? What are our motivations when we're involved in teaching such as leading a Bible study or, or taking communion? Uh, are we just seeking for the good of others or do we perhaps find ourselves sometimes competing or or getting a little proud or, or wanting to outdo other people? What are our motivations when we forget to do the church cleaning but uh, we don't forget the party on Saturday night? Uh, how, you know, how, how does that work if, if we're, we're more often available for, for Saturday night functions than we are, say, Saturday morning, especially if you're like me, about 8am, that's a really bad time uh, when, when people want to move or when they want to clean or they want to have gardening or they want to catch up for coffee? What's going on in our minds there as we, as we consider those options? Motivations can be very tricky things to get right, can't they? On the other hand, I think we only need to look around at Monty and we'll actually see lots of great examples of people using their gifts in love, not looking for any recognition or reward, but simply doing little things behind the scenes, uh, often, that never get recognised but make a massive difference. Things like working bees, morning tea, uh, church cleaning, which we all love, um, uh, just little notes of encouragement to one another through the week, uh, leading Bible studies, organising social events, uh, the women's group. It's, there's, a, there's an incredible amount of work that goes on at Monty, I think, that we can be thankful for that, that we see great examples of people doing things out of love and things that really make a big difference in our lives because they do them. We don't realise it but we get the benefits when we come here on a Sunday and we come here through the week that they're just there ready for us, helping us to do our bit. Praise God for those at Monty who frequently use their spiritual gifts out of love. 
We now move on to what will be for many of us the more familiar verses of this passage, verses 4 to 7, uh, and the verses that the video clip earlier today really helped us look at and think about. Why do we need to be using our spiritual gifts in love? The second reason we need love so badly is that love transforms our individual lives and in transforming each of our individual lives, well, it then transforms the broader community as a bunch of individuals are brought together in church life and in community life. It's easy to overlook the impact of those everyday mundane acts of you know, patience or kindness, humility, forgiveness and perseverance. It's easy to think, well, they're just, you know, they're the things that happen all the time. They're, just, they're the things that maybe, maybe they're, they seem a bit old-fashioned, maybe they're a bit cliché uh, and most of them are quite just difficult and unappetising, aren't they? It's quite hard to be patient. It's quite hard to hold off the horn when you're in traffic or, uh, or wait for the end of sentences sometimes. Whereas a spiritual experience, on the other hand, a vision or a healing, well, they just seem to be at a whole other level, you know. They seem to be at a higher plane. Who, who wants to, uh, to put up with your neighbour walking past your house, you know, and letting their dog do its thing on your nature strip when you could be part of a vision or a healing or, or a psychic vision? It, it, it all seems so mundane. And yet, when we think about it, I think even if we weren't a Christian, why would we be tempted to think that true spirituality should involve extreme emotion or, or kind of overwhelming experiences? Why, why would we have to go into a tantric trance or, or fall down from the sheer excitement of experiencing something for spirituality to be, to be useful for us in our lives? Even if you're not a Christian, what could possibly be better about a spirituality that's so kind of impotent and ineffective in everyday life that it has no ability to improve the 99% of our lives that we spend working or cleaning or mowing the lawn? How, how useless is a spirituality that can only be experienced when we're on the top of a hill in Mount Dandenong or in Tibet? Now, of course, as Christians, there's no doubt that, that spiritual experiences in the Holy Spirit do encourage us uh, and do help us to continue on in faithfulness to Christ. You know, the, the gift of tongues, as it came down in Acts 2, it, it just had an incredible wow factor and shows us the incredible diversity and power of God in, in helping his people. The gift, the gift of uh, a miraculous healing of a terminally sick person, well, that will show us some of God's power and some of God's grace into that person's life. And a vision, well, visions tell us that God will be contained by nobody, no one, that he's not, uh, he's not beholden to any man and he can communicate any way he wants. But these, these spiritual experiences on their own won't lead to permanent change or lasting improvement in our spiritual lives. All they do is point us in the direction of Christ. It's only Christ-like love itself in forms of patience and kindness that can bring about lasting change in the hearts of God's people and in doing that for each individual, they then do that for the community. I wonder if it's ever struck you before but one of the great attributes of love is that it's not unachievable by anyone. Uh, Not all of us are teachers, not all of us are healers, not all of us are administrators, I'm not sure if, uh, if my experiences accord with something like yours, but there's a bit of a running joke in the McCormack family that we're unable to catch any international flights. 
some of you may identify my, my sister and my mum were sitting up there one night and my sister was visiting from the States, happily watching TV. You know, the kids, I think, were in bed. And, uh, and my sister thinks, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just confirm our flight details for tomorrow and, uh, and check what time they are. So she goes over, grabs a piece of paper and my sister, being the, uh, the, the person who loves to be organised as she is, suddenly goes, oh, no, my flights are tonight. <laughs> and in about two and a half hours' time, that was when their flights were. So they went from nice and calmly watching TV. We had events planned for the following night we were going to do as a family and uh, they went, uh, ran around the house like crazy people. Uh, putting their bags together, getting the baby and the toddler up, uh, whacking them in the car and uh, racing straight out to the airport to try to catch their, uh, their flight on time, uh, which they, they did just scrape through customs and, uh, and get onto their flight before the gate closed. But it was, uh, it was quite an exciting night right here. I wasn't there. And, uh, and it, oh, no, I'm, I'm quite bad. I'm quite bad. I, I generally book up for, uh, for flights about 10 minutes before they leave when the, the sign's flashing and saying flight closed. Gets your heart rate up. But then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum uh, for administration is my wife, Rachel, who... Uh, everyone's laughing already. Uh, one, one week before we left for Europe, of course, Rachel's stressing that, well, 99% of the bag's packed, but there's still a few items she had to get in the last seven days. You know, it's, it's, uh, we, we are all at different ends on the spectrum. Some of us have the gift of administration, some of us don't. But all of us can give love and all of us can receive love. Every single one of us has the ability to choose to love others in our lives and in doing that to choose to be part of this incredible ability of love to transform people, to transform families. I wonder if you've ever pondered this. Jesus chose 12 unremarkable, seemingly ungifted people to be his apostles. If I was Jesus... Uh, if, if I take my ex on mobile thinking, I would have been saying, all right, well, I'm going to either want the best 12 prophets or the best 12 teachers or the best 12 healers or the best 12 provincial administrators. You know, you might, might kind of mix it up a bit. You know, you need an administrator for the team. You need a prophet to lead the team, you know. And, uh, but what did Jesus do? He actually chose 12 unremarkable, seemingly ungifted men to be his apostles. No kings no incredibly gifted people, even the the highly educated Paul wasn't one of the original 12 apostles that Jesus chose for his team. Why would he do that? Maybe one of the reasons he did that was to show us that the power of our ministry, the power, the success of our ministry, the power of what we're involved in is, is not made up of our gifts, what type they are or how extensive they are. It's not made up of our education. It's made up of our ability to love in our use of those gifts and the ability of God to bless our gifts that we use in love. As we look at the familiar but extensive list of love's attributes in verses 4 to 7, it's a good opportunity to just to hold up our life's motivations to the light of those verses, check out what's really driving us to do the things that we do. If, If those aspects of love, patience, kindness, gentleness, perseverance, if, if they're not there in some areas of our life, well, what a great opportunity this week to choose one of these characteristics each day and spend that day looking for an opportunity to demonstrate that attribute in that area of our lives. The more like verses 4 to 7 that our lives look like, all of our lives look like, the more spiritually effective we will be. 
We now move on to the final part of the passage, verses 8 to 12. And the third reason that true and lasting spirituality is about that L word, love. The third reason is that the fruit of love will last long after the gifts and the wisdom and the understanding that we use to deliver the love have passed away. The first reason that we see in verse 8 I think is the most obvious one. Firstly, eventually, one day, hopefully in a few years' time or a lot of years' time, but one day we will all pass away. And those gifts, those human wisdom and understandings that we've built up in our lifetimes will pass away with our bodies. But the second reason is, is really a lot more interesting, I think. That uh, Sorry, I just lost my place. Uh, more than this, even if, even if we're talented, you know, even if we're a, a Rob Freeman or a Terry Shearer, we go to Bible college, we write theses or essays or books, uh, even if we reach the heights of Luther or Calvin or Wesley, uh, or maybe even if we're fortunate enough in our families that we can pass on our human wisdom and understanding to our children and to their children's children and their children's children's children. Eventually, all of this great wisdom will be compared to the magnificence of the glory of God's wisdom as we get to heaven. Paul uses the example of a child growing up in verse 11 uh, and I thought I might use an example from my own childhood. Uh, when I was a baby, and I, don't, I obviously can't remember this but I have it on good advice, I'd uh, made a careful study of the world around me particularly on the subject of food and uh, and by the time of seven months just like Joshy I had a pretty good handle that when I wanted food I cried and in short order mummy or daddy would arrive with food so I got understanding I got it down pat works every time when I want food I cry and crying produces food from mummy or daddy now of course slightly limited understanding Uh, as I started to get older I started to realise that not only was food coming from the fridge but that the fridge food was coming from the supermarket and looking out outside my window at the farm, the cows and sheep in the paddock were going to the supermarket. You start connecting the dots. And then, of course, as I uh, got older again and studying logistics at university, it was only then that I fully realised the amount of blood, sweat and tears, you know, literally, that's, that's involved in getting food from the paddock through the harvesting, packaging and processing facilities and into the hands of a consumer at the supermarket. What Paul is saying here is our earthly wisdom and understanding, well, it's a bit like that of a child. Uh, we, we have some understanding, you know, mum and dad are part of the reason we get food and the more perceptive of us are starting to go, oh, there's a fridge in there somewhere, I wonder what the fridge is doing. But it's only once we're going to get to heaven that we'll realise even the heights of our understanding are really at such an elementary level they're really going to pass away. They're not going to continue on. Thinking we're going to impress God with our earthly wisdom when we get to heaven is probably a bit like a kid rocking up to the Safeway manager and saying, I'm pretty clever. I've figured out pork, ham and bacon all come from the one animal. It's good, but I already knew that, says the Safeway manager. All human giftings, wisdom and understanding, as useful as they are while we're on earth, they will all one day pass away. Uh, now that's great, thanks Andy. Uh, I came to church this morning happy and positive and feeling good about my knowledge and you've just shut it all down. Uh, I'll go away depressed, thank you very much. Not sure whether I'll come next week. Uh, well, the good news is that uh, now that we understand the bad news about the things that won't last, 
it, I think it makes the things that will last even better. It makes us appreciate even more how great it will be that they will continue on despite our human limitations. And I believe, uh, actually not having looked at this passage in detail beyond uh, verses 4 to 7, I believe one of the great insights and encouragements we get in this passage is actually in the later parts where we learn that love is not subject to the same human limitations that everything else we do is. Now firstly, love's effectiveness and lasting impact is not limited by human understanding. You know, a glass of water from Solomon is no different than a glass of water from me. Uh, and a word of encouragement from someone who has the gift of healing, well, it's no different than a word of encouragement from someone that doesn't. Love is not impacted by our own human abilities. We're, we're not limited. Everybody can love. You don't need to be overly wise or overly gifted. But more than that, and I think this, the, the amazing thing that we, we hear about in this passage is that love's impact will not disappear when we die. It, it will continue on in time. I don't know if you picked that up in verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. And then we read in verse 8, love never fails. And I think that's the way the video clip finished as well. Love never fails. What an extraordinary concept. Of course, it doesn't mean that those who love won't ever fail. But what it does mean is that all those acts of love that are in our lives, they will never fail. In contrast to this, we reflect on the first three passages, uh, first three verses that we looked at this morning. Gifts used without love are void, empty and worthless. We realise an immense contrast. Love never fails, but the absence of love always fails. But why? Why are things done in love of eternal benefit, but things, often the very same types of things done without love, of no benefit? I don't think it's an easy question to answer, not just because it's academically a bit hard to get your head around, but I think because it's a bit discomforting in our lives to think, well, gee, if things done without love aren't, aren't contributing anything, aren't significant, you know, where does that leave me when I look back on my life? We actually uh, spent some time with uh, the guys group, the young guys group last weekend asking that exact question. If, uh, if all those things done in our lives, if, if they're not done with love, if they're not done for Christ, uh, and they're not, they're not of any significance, what does that leave us with? Uh, and uh, it's a sobering question to ask for each of us. What does that leave us with? Why are one person's efforts to volunteer for a local charity organisation motivated by vanity or conceit uh, of, of no lasting benefit, whereas someone's loving willingness to get involved in the same charity, well, that's going to last forever. How does that work? we get a clue to the answer by understanding the context of 1 Corinthians 13. That In the context of chapters 12 and 14, these chapters are telling us that it is of eternal importance that we use our gifts in love for Christ and the church. The important thing is who we're using it for, who we're loving. Are we loving ourselves or are we loving Christ and his church and his people? And interestingly, uh, we also get a little bit more context when we're able to look a little earlier in 1 Corinthians back to chapter 3. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 15, Paul warns his listeners of the dangers of laying the wrong foundations for a church. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 3. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
For if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul's already spent some time earlier in Corinthians warning the Christians that they need to be sure of which foundation they're building on. It can only be the foundation of Jesus Christ. Any other foundation or focus will not do. The value of any act, the value of any use of our gifts is, is, not, uh, is not in of itself but from who it is seeking to serve. An act performed out of love for Jesus Christ, it will build up his church, it will encourage his people Uh, And it will be one of a a million, billion, trillion acts whose positive impact lasts forever as God's people continue on and on and on into eternity. It will never disappear. But an act performed out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, well, well, that's just really building up the kingdom and the person of the person doing it. And on the day of judgement, all of those acts will be swept away. They'll, They'll fall away and there'll be nothing remaining. John Piper, uh, the well-known American uh, author and, uh, and pastor, talks about a poem that hung in his family home when he was growing up and, uh, and has really stuck in his head as he's gone through his life in Christian ministry. It goes like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As we reflect that what is done in love is done for Christ and what is done for Christ is done in love, Uh, The poem could equally read, only what's done in love for Christ will last. So we turn our thoughts to where in our lives we're genuinely using our gifts of love, uh, sorry, our spiritual gifts in love. It's clear that any way that we use our gifts in love will not only be effective but of lasting impact. So with what motivation are we making dinner for our family? With what motivation are we spending some special time with our son or our daughter or our mum or our dad? With what motivation are we helping our friends move house or clean or fix up their gutters or mow their lawn? All of these loving ways of using our gifts and thousands upon thousands more may seem everyday and relatively mundane at the time but every single one of them is working for the benefit of God's people. Let's be encouraged that all these ways of using our gifts will reap for each of us an eternal impact and an eternal reward. Uh, In conclusion, if we didn't have enough reasons to use our gifts in love before this morning, I pray that today we'll go away with three more. Love, firstly, gives significance and substance to all we do. Love, secondly, transforms communities. And love, thirdly, will have an eternal impact. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done in love for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible word and the way that it adds meaning and significance and substance and eternal impact to our lives. As we reflect on your passage today, as we reflect on the earlier video clip, Father, it's clear the impact that love has the way that it lifts up people and builds into their lives. 
and builds into your kingdom most importantly. We pray, Father, as we go away this morning that uh, you would help us to reflect on our own motivations. You would help us to perhaps clean up some of our motivations in particular areas of our lives and that you would fill our lives more and more with your love and spiritual effectiveness. Amen.